How many of you have ever read The Tell Tale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe? Anyone? Should have read it in high school. I didn't read it in high school. We were the generation they experimented on, and you can see the results of their experimentation. It's kind of funny, but when I was a sophomore in high school, they went to a 30-minute module system. There's seven minutes between bells, and so basically you only had 23 minutes in class. By the time they called roll and they got order in the classroom, we had about 10 minutes of instruction time, and then we were gone. And so my sophomore and junior year, we really didn't learn that much. If it hadn't been for Miss McIntosh and, and uh, Bon Allred, I'd really been in trouble. But we were supposed to have read The Telltale Heart in high school. I didn't. I read it in college. And it's a really interesting story. It's about a man that commits a murder, and he dismembers the body, and then he buries them underneath the floorboards of his house. And a neighbor who heard the screams while he was murdering this man calls the police but when the police come to investigate, there's no evidence that a crime has ever been committed. So they sit down to question the man. And while the man is talking with the police, he begins to hear a faint noise, a steady beat. And it gets louder and louder until he realizes that the sound is the man's heart beating underneath the floorboards. And he's so sure that the police can hear him because it's so loud, but the police seem oblivious to it. So he assumes that they know what he did, but they're just playing with him. And the beating continues to get louder and louder until finally he can't take it anymore. And he confesses to the police. And he shows them which, which floorboards to pull up to find the members of the dismembered body. But what he didn't realize was that the sound that he heard was not the murdered man's heart beating. It was his own heart beating. You see, the guilt over what he had done had made his senses hypersensitive. It made him able to hear his own heartbeat, but it also made him irrational. It made him crazy. And people, guilt can do that. When King David had an affair with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband, he tried to hide his guilt, but the guilt actually ate him up. And it affected him physically, mentally, and emotionally. It made him physically sick. Turn to the book of Psalms, if you would, chapter 32, you need to understand that David actually wrote this psalm right after he confessed his sin to God. But he went through a period of almost eight to nine months where he tried to hide what he did. And he writes about that in the book of Psalms chapter 32. Look at verse number three. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. In other words, the guilt that he, the guilt that he had affected him physically. His body was literally wasting away. In other words, he lost weight. He couldn't eat because his stomach was in knots. He couldn't sleep because it was always on his mind. It literally affected him physically. It also affected him mentally. It said that he groaned all day long. In other words, no matter what he did or where he went, he couldn't get his mind off of this, which threw him into depression. And that's why he groaned all day long. And last but not least, his guilt affected him emotionally. Look at verse number four. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David says that it felt like God's hand was squeezing his heart. And it was zapping him of all of his strength. And people, that's what guilt does to a person. Especially when we try to hide what we've done. The guilt just eats us up. Look at verse number five. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, 
and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And Lord, you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. In other words, once David stopped trying to hide what he'd done, confessed his sin and got right with God, the guilt was gone. It was like this heavy burden was just lifted off of him. And for the first time, he felt good physically and mentally and emotionally. Now, contrary to what most people think, guilt is a good thing. In fact, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you, and I would like you to tell them guilt is a good thing. Guilt, people, is a good thing. Because without guilt, we would all be sociopaths. That's right. A sociopath is a person who's only interested in their own personal needs and desires without any concern for the effect of their behavior on others. So when a sociopath does something that hurts another person, they don't feel any guilt whatsoever. Nothing. Zilch. You know, it blows our mind, but when we see someone who's been a serial killer and they're finally caught, and we find out that they killed maybe 50 to 60 people, they chopped them up, they tortured them, and we think, how could they do that? Well, they felt nothing. They were a sociopath. So people, guilt is a good thing. It makes us feel bad when we do something wrong, and it makes us want to repent. Now, in the Christian world, we have the tendency to refer to guilt as conviction. Instead of saying that we feel guilty for what we've done, we say that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin. But whatever we choose to call it, whether we call it guilt or whether we call it conviction, we need to understand that it's a good thing because it makes us want to confess our sins and it makes us want to get right with God and right with others. So instead of hiding our sin and trying to cover it up, God wants us to confess our sin. And when we do, he makes us a promise. He promises that we will be forgiven. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse number 9. This is a very familiar scripture. But I'm going to go a little bit more in depth. Probably show you some things you've never seen before. Notice what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I want you to notice that when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Underline the word faithful. Faithful is translated from the Greek word pistos. Pistos means trustworthy, consistent, reliable. It's used to refer to someone who will always perform their duty or whatever they promise to do. So what this is saying is, it doesn't matter what we've done. If we confess our sin, God will always forgive us. Always. Why will he always forgive us? Because God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is consistent. He is reliable. He will always do what he's promised to do. He's faithful to forgive us. Now, let me explain what the word confess means so we don't distort what this is saying. Because some of us have a misconception of what it means to confess our sin. We kind of think we can just say it and then go off and do whatever we want. So let me explain the biblical perception of confession. Confess is translated from the Greek word homologeo. Now, homologeo is a compound word. That means it's made up of more than one word. In this case, it's made up of two words. It's made up of the prefix homo and the root word lageo. 
Now, the prefix homo actually means the same. In fact, our English word or English prefix homo is transliterated from this Greek word. And we know what a homo is, right? If we call someone a homosexual, it means they're attracted to the same sex. Homo means same sexual, so they're attracted to the same sex. The word lageo means to speak or to say. So when you combine these two words, it literally means to speak the same thing or to say the same thing. In other words, to agree. You see, if you and I are saying the same thing, it means we agree. I don't know if you know it, but Ryan Mallett is the uh, preseason All-American quarterback first string. Did you know that? At six foot seven, 238 pounds, he is first string preseason All-American, and I believe he deserves it. Now, if you say the same thing, if you say that you believe he deserves it, we agree. But some of you can't stand Arkansas. So you're not going to say that he deserves that honor, right? You're going to say that the OU quarterback or the OSU quarterback or whatever team you're rooting for, their quarterback deserves to be preseason All-American. But you see, if we say the same thing, we agree. If we don't say the same thing, we disagree. So from a biblical perspective, confession means to say the same thing that God says. In other words, to agree with him. If God says that something is sin, I agree with him. I say that it's sin too. I don't argue with him. I don't try to justify what I did. I simply agree with God that it was wrong. So, so now both of us are saying the same thing. Now, here's what most people don't realize. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. No one great reached for a pen, did they? All right. I still want you to write this down. True confession always includes a desire to repent. Let me say that again. True confession always includes a desire to repent. And let me explain why I said that. Confession literally means to be in agreement to say the same thing. So if we're saying the same thing that God says about what we've done, we'll not only say it's wrong, but we'll say it's wrong to do it again. Did you hear what I said? If we truly agree with God, we not only will say that what we did was wrong, if God's word says it's wrong, but we'll also say that it's wrong to do it again. So let me give you an example of a true confession from a biblical perspective. God, your word says that what I did was wrong. And I agree with you. It's wrong. And you say that I'm not to do this. And I agree with you, God. I shouldn't have done this. And I'm sorry I did it the first time. And I won't do it again. Because your word says it's wrong. God, please forgive me. People, that's a true confession from a biblical pers perspective. Because not only have I agreed that what I did was wrong, but I also agreed not to do it again. And according to 1 John 1, 9, when I confess my sins like that, at that point, God promises to forgive me. And God is always faithful to fulfill his promises. That's what the word faithful means. That's what the Greek word pestos means. It means God will always, no matter what I've done, if I confess my sin the proper way, the way that God tells me to, he will always forgive me. So I'm completely and totally forgiven. People, it's a done deal. So as I said, feeling guilty over sin is a good thing. Because it leads us to repentance. It makes us want to confess our sin. It makes us want to get things right with God. But what do you do when you've confessed your sin? You've repented of it. 
You've asked God to forgive you, but you still can't shake the guilt. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've had an abortion. And even though you've confessed it to God, and many, many times you've begged him to forgive you, but you still can't get rid of the guilt. And it's eating you up. Or maybe you had an affair. And even though you've confessed it to God and you've begged him to forgive you, you can't shake the guilt. And it's keeping you from really serving him. Because whenever you want to do what God has called you to do and you start to step out, there's that little nagging voice that says, but you had an affair. You can't ever serve God. Or maybe you had an accident and you were at fault. You weren't paying attention. You were texting on your telephone. Or maybe it was even a DUI. And then this accident, you hurt someone else, maybe even killed them. And as a result of that, even though you've asked God to forgive you, you've confessed that it's wrong, you've told God you'll never do it again, and you know that God's forgiven you, you can't forgive yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anyone? You've done something that you feel so bad about that even though you know consciously that God has forgiven you, you still can't seem to forgive yourself. What do you do? How do you get rid of... Of the guilt. Well, let me tell you what most people do. Most people try to do penance to alleviate their guilt. Now, does everyone know what I mean by penance? In layman's terms, penance is when someone punishes themselves for doing something wrong. They're trying to make up for what they've done by punishing themselves or by doing something good. And people, it's human nature to do that, even for Christians. For some reason, whenever we do something that's really bad, something we really feel guilty about. We want to do penance. But the reason we want to do penance is because we can't seem to forgive ourselves. Yes, we know that if we confess our sins, according to 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful to forgive us, but we can't seem to forgive ourselves. So to try to alleviate the guilt, what do we do? We do penance. We try to do something to make up for what we've done. Is that right? How many know what I'm talking about? Well, if I've done something wrong, and we kind of divide sin into these little categories, and if I did this and it's pretty bad, then I'm going to read my Bible every day, not only in the morning, but even at night. And if I do that for a week, I'll feel better. But then you do something a little worse. And so now you've got all these little rituals, all of these types of penance that you have to do to make up for what you've done. And you know, as I was studying for this sermon, it reminded me of a particular movie. The movie is called The Mission. Did anyone ever see the movie The Mission with Robert De Niro? Anyone ever see that? It was made back in 1984, 1985, somewhere back in that time period. So you can kind of guess the quality of the movie. But anyways, it's based on a true story. It's about a conquistador who killed and enslaved many of the native Indians in South America. And years later, he realizes how wrong that was, and he's consumed with guilt. So he goes to a priest... Father Gabriel, and he confesses his sin. And even though he's forgiven, he can't forgive himself. So as penance, he takes all of the things that represent his past life, his weapons, his helmet, his armor, and he puts all of those things in a net as a representation of all of his past sins. And as a part of his penance, he's going to drag that net full of all of those weapons all the way back to the tribe of the Indians that he had abused. 
Those Indians that he had murdered. Believing that once he gets there, they're going to kill him. Which he thinks will make up for the sins that he's committed in the past. Now, what he doesn't know is that Indian tribe has been converted to Christianity by Father Gabriel. So let me show you a video clip from this movie. Let's run that video clip. Wow, that's a great illustration of how we try to alleviate our guilt by doing some type of penance. Even though we've been completely forgiven by God, we keep dragging those memories of our past sins behind us. And we can't let go of them. And we keep punishing ourselves mentally, physically, and emotionally, refusing to forgive ourselves, not realizing that we have been forgiven completely 
and totally. And we need to just get rid of that baggage that we're dragging along with us and quit trying to earn our forgiveness and just receive it. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's great, Alan. I wish I could do that, but I can't. If you could just teach me how to get rid of the guilt, I would. Well, let me show you something interesting out of that verse that we always go to. Turn back, if you would, to the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. I want to look at a word that we always seem to overlook. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And we always zero in on that. But we always forget the next word. And just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us of our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you want to be set free from the guilt of what you've done in the past, you've got to realize mentally that God is not only faithful to forgive you, but God is also just to forgive you. Just. Now, remember what I've taught you. In order for God to be just, sin must be punished and righteousness must be rewarded. If God doesn't do those two things, then God is not just. So if that's the case, how in the world can God be just in forgiving us when all we've really done is confess our sins? If he's just, our sins have to be punished. Right? Right. And you see, that's deep, deeply ingrained within men. We know that. If sin is going to be justly forgiven, it has to be punished. So we think, how in the world can God be just in forgiving us when all we've done is confess our sin? Well, what we don't realize is that our sin was punished. You see, the punishment for our sin was laid upon Jesus. Everything that we've ever done wrong or everything that we will ever do wrong in the future, Jesus has paid for. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse number 5. I want you to notice what this says. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Let me say that again. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. So the first thing that you've got to do is realize that your sin has been paid for. Jesus was punished for your sin. He's done your penance, if you want to think of it in those terms. He has been punished for your sin. And that's why 1 John chapter 1 verse number 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful. But he's not only faithful, God is just in forgiving us. Of our sin because our sin was punished in Christ Jesus in a sense Jesus did our penance for that sin now I know some of you are thinking but Alan I know all of that and I still feel guilty I know God's forgiven me but I can't forgive myself that's why I still feel guilty. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask the rhetorical question. So don't raise your hand. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You feel that way. You know that God has forgiven you of your sin. 
You know what 1 John 1, 9 says. You know that he's not only faithful to forgive you, but he's also just. And the reason he's just is because God did punish sin in Christ Jesus. But you still feel guilty. Well, for those of you that are that way, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. We're still in the book of 1 John because John wants to deal with this because he understands human nature. And human nature is such that when we do something that we really feel bad for, it's like we've got to do something to make up for this. And sometimes there's not enough that we can do. And so notice what 1 John 3.20 says. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Now, let me explain what that means. If you feel guilty about what you've done, even after you've confessed it to God, God is greater than your feelings. In other words, you're forgiven even if you don't feel worthy enough to be forgiven. So you need to quit going on what you feel and you need to start walking by faith. You are forgiven. Completely and totally forgiven, period. And it doesn't matter what you feel because God is greater than your feelings. Now, let me say that again. You're forgiven even if you don't feel like it. And it doesn't matter what you feel because God is greater than your feelings. So you need to quit going by what you feel and you need to start walking by faith. Some of you have what I call a guilty personality. Now, you can raise your hands on this. It doesn't matter. How many of you have a guilty personality and you know it? Oh, you liars. Man, you come to my office, you say things, I can tell it's all over you. You're carrying all these things from your past. You can't do anything without it just eating you up. Now, I'll be honest with you, I do not have a guilty personality. In fact, that's why I can easily say that guilt is a good thing. Because if it wasn't for guilt, I'd have never become a Christian. Because I just don't think about feeling guilty about something. You know, if I do something, I, I'm going to get it right with God. I'm going to get it right with another person if I have offended them. But if they don't get over it, well, you know, that's all I can do. And they're trying to make me feel guilty. But, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I don't have a guilty personality. I'm just not that way. But some of you, man, you're eat up with guilt. And what kind of blows my mind, it's usually the people that are the best people. Have you ever noticed that? It's always the people that it seems like they don't do anything wrong. But they've got this guilty personality. Well, if you've got a guilty personality, I'm going to help you to be set free. I'm going to explain what the root cause of a guilty personality is. How many of you know what the root cause of a guilty personality is? The root cause of a guilty personality is a lack of faith. Yes. Because I can prove to you from God's word that you're forgiven. But you don't feel forgiven. Which means that you're walking by your feelings. You're not walking by faith. And so when a person comes to me and they've got a guilty personality. And I say, well, you know, do you believe that that's wrong? Yeah. Are you ever going to do it again? No. Well, let's sit down and let's confess this with God. So we'll do that. And I'll say, you just pray and you just tell God that you agree with him that this is wrong. And you just ask him to forgive you and tell him you're never going to do it again. And so they sit down and they pray that. And I say, well, how do you feel? And they go, guilty. And I said, you know what? The problem is you don't walk by faith. You walk by your feelings. And as long as you don't feel forgiven, 
then you don't accept to receive your forgiveness. And the truth of the matter is the root cause of this is a lack of faith. And it also means that you're trying to work for your forgiveness, and that's why you're doing penance. And here's what's interesting. These people know the Bible inside and out. How many of you could quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? Most of you could do that. You know what the Scripture says. It's not going to pop up here on the screens. I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. We are saved by grace through faith. And that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any men should boast. Now, I want you to notice what verse number 9 is saying. And most of us don't get this. Not of works. In other words, it's not of doing penance. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And let me explain what salvation means. Most people don't understand the term salvation. We think that salvation means we don't have to go to hell. People, that's just a part of it. Actually, the word salvation, the root of that, the root word of salvation literally means wholeness. You see, when we sin and we get away from God and we do bad things, we are broken. We're not doing things the way God created us to do things. Our life's not working the way it's supposed to be working. But what salvation means is God restores us to wholeness. Now, how do we receive that wholeness where we have peace and we don't feel guilty? And we're restored into a right relationship with God. Well, the scripture says that we're saved by grace. And then it tells us how. Through faith. In other words, faith is the means by which we receive this salvation. And then he goes further and he says, and that is not of yourself. And most of us think that that's referring to faith. But it's not, it's referring to grace. And we know that because of the case that it's written in the original language. So when he says, and that is not of yourself, it's the gift of God, he's talking about salvation, the grace of salvation. But he wants you to understand that you receive it by faith, and then he goes further, not of works. In other words, not by doing something good, not by being uh, or, or punishing yourself so that you'll feel worthy of this. The way that you are saved, the way that you receive this wholeness, the way that you get rid of these feelings of guilt, the way you get rid of this burden that's upon you, that's squeezing your heart, that's tying your stomach up in knots, that's making you want to throw up, that's on your mind constantly. Now, maybe I need a guilty personality to lose weight, but your body is wasting away. But it's because you have this guilty personality. But the root cause of the guilty personality is a lack of faith. It's that you're walking by your feelings, not by faith. And all through the New Testament, and even in the Old, the one thing that we're, con we're continually encouraged to do is to walk by faith. So those of you who have a guilty personality, if you have done what 1 John 1, 9 says, and you still don't feel right, you still feel guilty, then you need to understand that you're walking by your feelings. You need to stand up and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I feel because 1 John 3.20 says, in fact, I kind of like the way the King James Version says it. It says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Wow. Now, I read the NLT because we're talking about guilt. If we feel guilty, then God is greater than our feelings. And that's where it takes faith to realize 
It doesn't matter how I feel. The Word of God says I've been forgiven. If you've had an abortion and you've confessed that to God, you are forgiven. You need to take that baggage, all that hurt, all that feelings of guilt that you're dragging around with you, and you need to cut it off and you need to get rid of it because you've been forgiven. And God did it justly. God is just to forgive you because he took that sin, he placed it upon Jesus, and Jesus did your penance. If you've had an affair, if you got a divorce and married someone else, maybe you didn't raise your kids right, whatever it is, maybe you had a DUI and you had an accident and you hurt someone or you killed someone, you need to understand something. All of that, all of that, was placed upon Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you could have done in the past that Jesus did not pay for. Now, is guilt a good thing? Yes, because guilt is what brought you to Jesus to say, I am sorry. I know the sin has separated me. I know what your word says. Now, at that point, you're agreeing with God. God, I'm sorry for this. I want you to forgive me. I won't do it again. At that point, God is faithful, but God is also just to forgive you. So you need to quit walking by what you feel, and you need to start walking by faith. And so when those thoughts come up and they start plaguing your mind, you cast them down because those are not of God. Those are of the devil. Everything that God says, Satan tries to counteract. Satan tries to tear down. Satan tries to distort. Satan tries to twist. He started in the garden. If you've been coming on Wednesday night, you saw. He took what God said and he twisted it. You need to understand that he does that. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. So the next time those guilty feelings come over something you've already confessed, something you've already set right with God and with the other person that you might have offended, you need to understand when he comes and he brings that thought to you that he's the accuser of the brethren. That thought needs to be cast down. And you need to put the word of God in your heart and in your mind because you're forgiven.